thank you for this place that we can be together, um, a place that we can open up your word and learn about you and about your son and about us. So we just give you this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week we started, okay, you got to hang with me though. You up here? Focused? Okay. Last week we started this book of John, which is uh, John's, the gospel of Jesus Christ according to John, right? You guys remember? You with me? Tracking? And we talked about how the message of Jesus Christ, what he did coming to this earth and what it means for us is the best news we could ever receive in our life. Think of I even had a better, a better example than, let's pretend they found a cure for cancer, okay? And let's pretend that even someone in your life has cancer, or maybe by the time that it happens, you have cancer. That would be pretty awesome news, right? This is better. This is the best news. And so tonight, we're going to continue on learning about this news, learning about Jesus and what, what this really is all about. So we're going to get right into it. Verse 19, picking up where we left off from last week. Chapter 1, verse 19. And this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? So this guy, John, who we started to talk about a little bit about last week, remember, not the John who wrote the book, because when it says the name John, he's not talking about himself. I know it's confusing, okay? So it's not the guy who wrote the book. This other John, and even though the book, the, the book of John doesn't call him this, we're going to call him John the Baptist, okay? So that it doesn't get confusing. Even though he isn't referred to as John the Baptist in this passage, he uh, will call him that because he was baptizing people, and specifically because he was the guy who baptized Jesus, so, to get away from all confusing, all confusion, all confusing, we're going to call him John the Baptist, okay? That's what I will refer to, refer to him as. So, John the Baptist was a witness to who Jesus is. He's making enough of a storm, talking about this guy Jesus, talking about who this guy is, what's, what he's teaching, what's going to happen, He's making so much of a ruckus that the Jews sent priests and Levites to go and ask him, like, who are you? Who is this guy? And so they come to him. And verse 20, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Who do you say you are? Give us an answer. These guys have been waiting for someone to come. They didn't know quite what he would look like or what was going to happen, but they had been waiting. Because again, the, book, the beginning of the book of John isn't the beginning of the story. Remember when I cut the book last week and we just threw the first two-thirds of it away? There's a whole lot of stuff that happens before the book of John starts, and so they have been waiting because of the things that have happened in the past, leading up to this point, centuries of history. And the Jews at this point had been promised from God that he would send someone to save them. If you were in need of a savior and God said, don't worry, someone's coming. If you were out in the middle of the lake and you're drowning and someone's like, don't worry, someone's coming. You're going to be waiting, right? 
You're going to be like, who is it? Where is he? Where, what? I, you know, you're, it's that desperate need, okay? So they've been waiting. They knew that they needed saving, and what they needed saving from was sin. And God was going to make a way to save them from that. But they didn't quite get it. They didn't quite understand all that was going on. And even when Jesus was on earth, they didn't quite get it. And so you're kind of like, okay, if they didn't quite get it when Jesus was on earth, how are we supposed to get it now that, you know, he's not here? We will. (laughs) They didn't quite understand. And even those who thought they understood what they needed or what God was going to do, they had no idea. And even when Jesus did come, they completely missed it because they ended up killing him. And they're still trying to figure it out at this point. So they see John the Baptist, and he's like, this might, this might be the guy. Is this the, is this the guy? Is this the guy we've been waiting for? Because he's talking kind of like it sounds like he is. And, that, and John the Baptist is like, it's not me. I am not the one you've been looking for. Instead, he says, verse 23, we'll keep going. He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees, who were a group of religious... Oh, sorry, that was my own notes. They had been sent from the Pharisees. The Pharisees were a group of religious leaders at the time who thought that they had it all figured out. They were like the highest of authority. They knew all the law. They knew the most. They They would say they were the closest you could get to God, right? Because they believed they knew the law, so they didn't sin. That's who had sent them, the Pharisees. And they asked him, continuing on, verse 25, Then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one, who, one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. John the Baptist's response is intriguing, Because he is sending a message to a group of people who believe that they're pretty high up in God's eyes. If they were to say, who who does God think are like the best of the best? They would say, the Pharisees. And they're asking him if there are these different people, Elijah, the Christ, the prophet, who they would also say are pretty high up in God's eyes. And John says, John the Baptist says, no, I'm preparing the way for the one, for the one you've been waiting for. I'm, I'm letting people know he's coming. I'm making the, way, the path clear. I'm getting people ready. I'm getting people excited. I'm here to, wait, to point the way to the, to the one. Compared to the one who's going to come, you think I'm up here, and you think you're up here. Compared to the one who's going to come, I'm not even worthy to untie the straps of his sandals. Now, at the time, um, the lowest servant in the household would have been the one to untie the straps of the sandals. It was the lowest job. And John the Baptist, who they've kind of designated like he could be up here in this level of hierarchy of religion, he's like, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. You don't even know what's coming. You have no idea who this guy is. I'm intrigued because John the Baptist talks about, it talks about that he was a witness to who Jesus is. He was paving the way. He was clearing the path to make it easier for people to know Jesus. 
And he, they use the word witness, which is interesting because in the book of Acts, it talks about that people who are followers of Jesus, people who have said yes to him, people who have the Holy Spirit, it says, you will be my witnesses. I'm fast forwarding a lot because Jesus says this later on. You will be my witnesses. So those of us who have been called followers of Jesus Christ and we have had said yes to what, what he did on the cross and, and the relationship with him, we are to be his witnesses. And I think of, of John the Baptist, who his, his idea was to make it easier for people to get to Jesus, to point to Jesus, to prepare the way. And I wonder how often, as a witness to Jesus, I clear the way and make it easier for me to get to Jesus, and how often do I simply stand in the way? Do I make people's view of Jesus? Do I, do I show a wrong view of Jesus? And so I'm challenged by that as a witness to who Jesus is. And John the Baptist, he says, it's not about me. You have no idea who this guy is. That they aren't even close to having this thing figured out. Verse 29. The next day, these, these chunks of verses are the first week of Jesus' uh, public ministry. So it, it'll continue to sit, like be the next day and the next day. So we're at the next day. He saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Remember that one of John, the writer's main goals in the book is to show that Jesus was the Son of God. So we're going to hear that over and over again. But John the Baptist is walking down the street and Jesus is walking towards him. Very, very cool moment. And, and, after he says, or, and as he sees him coming, the first words out of his mouth are, Behold the Lamb of God. Now, what the heck does that mean? Right? Behold, the, he wasn't like an actual lamb walking down the road. Did any of you just picture that? Not an actual lamb, okay? But he uses this phrase, and maybe you've heard that phrase before, the Lamb of God. And maybe you guys have a kind of an idea of what that means. Maybe it's something you've heard talk about at Christmas or Easter. But it's a reality that is one that is huge for us to understand. It is huge for us to understand. And as I said, it's a reality that Jesus is the Lamb of God. You see, we talked a little bit about this sin problem. And you guys have heard about that. Maybe some of you have heard me talk about it. But it's actually not just a little problem. It's a pretty big problem. Because when sin entered the world, it separated all of people from God. Because of the sin of Adam and Eve, okay, some of you are familiar with the very beginning of the Bible when Adam and Eve sinned, we are all born with sin because of that event that happened. And I think sometimes we think of sin as like this ranking system, okay, we, or like a, a balance, right? Well, if I do, like sin is the bad side, and all the good things I do is on the other side, and hopefully I can outweigh, maybe I can end up like this. 
right? And sometimes we think that. Or we think there's a chart hanging somewhere that says all the wrong things that we've done or that we need to do better or we use it as a way to rank ourselves amongst other people when it comes to church and sin. But sin is something that we all carry. We, simply by being human, how many of you are human? Okay. If you are a human, you are, are a sinner. If you are a human, you are a sinner. And it's not like saying, you know, I've got a little, I've got a little sin, or, and you've got a lot, you've got a lot of sin, so, you know, I'm better off than you. Right? Or it's not the opposite. Or sometimes we think that, like, well, I've sinned less than this person, so I'm doing okay. You realize what sin is, right? You realize it's like if I gave you a glass of poison, we each have a glass, you took one sip, I chugged the whole thing really fast, we're both going to die, right? I'm not more dead than you, right? We're both dead. Just because you only drank a little bit of the poison, we're on the same level, okay? We are all sinners. No one's on this, like, scale of higher and lower and lower and higher, That's not what sin is. Sin is the poison that all of us carry with us as humans. And it separates, sin separates humans from God. And that is death. Because the payment for that poison, obviously, when you take poison, it's death. The payment for the sin that we carry is death. And on top of the fact that we have that poison in us, then we live it out. I know it's weird because poison kills us, but then our actions become, you know, then sin turns into a verb, okay? It's what we do. It's it's the things that we think um, that separate us from God, okay? So it's the, the poison that's living out in us. And those things, we need to be forgiven in order to be in relationship with God. And so in the Old Testament, there was this sacrificial system that in order to be forgiven, since blood had to be shed, since death had to happen, they would bring animals, okay, to the priests. And they would sacrifice these animals. Blood would be shed, and then you would walk away, and then you would sin again, and then you would bring more animals, and blood would be shed so you could be forgiven, and you would walk away. And literally, can you imagine how constant this process was? And it wasn't like, oh, this, uh, this sheep has a broken leg, so I'm going to go sacrifice this one. And this bird can't fly quite right. And, you know, this animal is a little bit, um, he's not going to make it very long. So these are the animals I'm going to sacrifice. And I'm gonna keep. No, you were to bring the best animals to sacrifice. And blood had to be shed in order for, uh, for these people to stay in relationship with God. And it wasn't like a little slit in the throat, drain the blood out into a cup, and there's the, bl- there's the blood. Imagine the room and how bloody it would have been. Because a lot, a lot, a constant flow of blood had to be, sh- you guys, okay, some of you are getting a little queasy. Okay, but a constant, like basically a constant flow of blood had to be shed in order for these people to be forgiven. And they would bring these animals and they would bring them and they would be sacrificed and it was exhausting and it was never ending. And all along, God said that he would provide a way so that everyone had a chance to be forgiven that could be released and unleashed from this poison that is in them. 
that everyone in the world carries. And they were waiting for that. Can you imagine? Living in that system of this constant flow of blood and just waiting. Because God said he's going to send someone, and he's, you're like, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm waiting for him. Could this be the guy? And John the Baptist's like, it's not me. To save them from the sin that infected them and separated them from God. And in verse 29, John the Baptist makes a declaration of this man standing in front of him that would have been the most powerful thing up to that point. Behold the Lamb of God. Think about that. With all that you've just heard, this, this is it. This is the guy. He's going to be the ultimate sacrifice. The, the Lamb of God. Not just another way, but the way. The only way to have a relationship with God for our sin and the poison that is in us. Never to be having to be done again. A one time and done. The Savior of the world. The Son of God. Verse 35. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at, at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. Are you seeing the fact that John wants to make known that this is, this is him? The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Can you imagine being drowning out in the middle of the lake and finally there's someone there <laughs> we found him we have found the messiah which means christ which means savior he brought him to jesus jesus looked at him and said you are simon the son of john again not that john or that john another john you shall be called cephas which means peter See, throughout his time on earth, and we're going to continue to see Jesus and how he encounters with people on earth, he, he tends to ask questions. Even if someone asks him a question, often he responds in a question, which can sometimes be a little annoying, right? Do you want to eat dinner? Do you want to eat dinner? You know, it's just like, okay, I'm not so sure. That's not how he did it, but it's like my nephew, Ollie, cutest three-year-old on the planet. If you don't agree with me, you're wrong. Just kidding. He has questions all the time, but usually it's why. Where's grandma? She's at Target. Why? Because she's shopping. Why? Because she needed something. Why? Because that's how it is. Oh. Why is Abby driving? Because she likes to drive. Why? Because she does. Why? It's just nonstop, okay? That's not how Jesus is. Not an annoying question answer. But Jesus doesn't ask questions to be annoying. I think sometimes he asks questions so that we can know how stupid the questions we ask are, right, or are being asked. But more so to cause the person he's talking to to think. Because in thinking, we will learn and truly come to know the answer and live it 
rather than just like a head knowledge. Do you ever ask a question and someone answers you and then you're like, you walk away and you're like, oh, I didn't really listen to what they just said. But then you don't want to ask again because then you'll have to like sit, show them that you weren't really listening. See, Jesus knows that we're like that as humans. And so he'll ask a question in response so then we think about it and then hopefully we listen to the question he's asking as well. But the question he asks, what are you seeking? What are you seeking? He could have turned around and said, why are you following me? Right? That would have been like, okay, why, what? They just, I turned left and they turned left, I turned right. Like, why are you following me? Because actually back then, if you wanted to learn from someone, if you found someone and you were like, usually it was a teacher or a rabbi, which means teacher, and usually it was in a religious context, but it could have been carpentry or whatever, you wanted to learn from someone, you literally followed them. I know it's kind of weird for us, but like you would just, wherever they went, they'd be like, hey. You'd be like, why are you always next to me? No, just like literally that they would, they would follow them. And so for them to be following Jesus, it was apparent that they wanted to learn from him. And so if Jesus were to turn around and say, why are you following me? Well, the answer is clear. They want to learn from him. But that doesn't really get at the heart of the why, right? Because that's an easy thing to answer. Well, I want to learn from you. When he asks the question, what are you seeking? It goes deeper. Because it, changed, it goes deeper than we want to learn from you, but it's why. Why do you want to learn from me? What are you seeking to get out of this relationship? Why, what are you seeking by following after me? It gets to the heart of the question. And Andrew brings his brother Simon to Jesus. And one of the very first times Simon meets Jesus is in this moment, and Jesus looks him in the eyes, which already gets, you know, it's a little intimidating, but it's very personal. And Jesus looks him in the eyes and says, I know what you've been called. I know this is how you've been perceived. I know that this was your name, Simon. But from now on, your life's going to be different. Because he changes his name, which changes the course of his entire life. He says, from now on, you are going to be called Peter, Cephas, which means Peter. You are going to be called Peter, which you know what Peter means? Rock. I don't know how Simon was before this, but now he is rock. It's a good name. Pete. Eighth grade boys, right? Rock. We're going to learn more about Peter and see how how Jesus works through his life, but that was an incredibly powerful moment for him because meeting Jesus changes the course of our lives. Verse 43, the last day we're going to talk about today, okay? The next day. Pretend it's Friday. Verse 43, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, this is Jesus speaking, Behold an Israelite. Whenever the words are in red, 
That's quoting Jesus. So you can just know that's, oh, who's talking? Oh, it's Jesus. Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? <laughs> you can imagine in this moment he kind of backs up like, okay, this is a little weird. How do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, before I ever saw you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Before you think I saw you, before I ever encountered you, I saw you. And he's like, whoa. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered, you, answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, we might think it's weird that Philip just follows when Jesus says, right? Follow me. Okay. But he did. And he did have some knowledge because he said, this is the Messiah. Of course, I'm going to follow him. But following him also meant, I want to learn from him, right? I want to learn who he is and more about him, and so he's going to follow him. Come learn with me. Come, come, come listen to the things that I'm going to say as Jesus is inviting him into this. And when Philip tries to tell Nathaniel, Nathaniel's kind of skeptical, right? Especially when he says he's from Nazareth. Really? Can anything possibly come good come from that place? I kept thinking about that about Bacchus today. How many of you are from Bacchus? Okay, good. No, you're not. I can say that, right? Can anything good possibly come from Bacchus? Someone's going to listen to this online, and I'm going to get nasty hate mail. And Jesus says something interesting to them. Jesus said, even I saw you when you were doubting me. When you were doubting me, when you didn't trust that I existed, I saw you. I knew you, and I saw you, even when in your doubts. And Nathaniel was amazed. And Jesus says, you thought this was amazing? You ain't seen nothing yet. You got no idea. The imagery that he then talks about of this heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man connects back again to part of the first two-thirds that sometimes we cut out, okay? Connects back to a man named Jacob who saw a vision. They, call it, they actually call it Jacob's Ladder, but of angels ascending and descending. And, and it means there's a connection between heaven and earth. And when Jesus came, that's what happened. A bridge was formed in order to be able to be connected to God. That moment, I still don't think we realize how incredible that is. Next week, we're going to go on to the next day where we get to witness the first miracle that Jesus performed when he was on earth. But before that, I want us to wrestle with that question. It's a question that Jesus asked some of the first disciples. What are you seeking? I know as a sixth grader, seventh grader, you might not think about that in life. What am I seeking? I'm going to go to school today. I'm going to sit in my classes and do my homework, and then I'm going to, whatever you do in the evening, go to dance. Go to, you don't go to dance, baseball, go to football and get my homework done. I'm going to wake up tomorrow and do the exact same thing. When you come here on Wednesdays, 
when you sit in this room, when you make a decision to come here on Wednesdays, when you think about life, what are you seeking? Are you just going through the motions just because this is what life is? I'm just here to get through today. I'm focused on this. You guys, Jesus is the Lamb of God. Jesus is life. And that reality, that fact, greatly impacts you and me. Greatly. Some people ask me, you know, why don't you go through, like, topical studies? You know, like a three-week study on friends, friendship, or a three-week study on sportsmanship, or I don't know, that's really random. But, you know, why don't you do, you know, almost these, like, helpful topics? If we can understand this reality, that Jesus is the Lamb of God, and what that means for me and for you in our life, that will change every aspect of our life as we go forward in our friendships, as we um, do things on our sports teams, as we start to make decisions about our future, as we make decisions about how we spend our time, when we realize who we are and how much we are in need of that Lamb of God and what Jesus did, it will change everything. What are you seeking? Because seeking him the one who sees us even when we're doubting, the one who knows us, is the only thing in this life that will truly bring us life. Because otherwise, we're just walking around with a bunch of poison in us. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let's pray. God, we thank you, even though our minds can't fully comprehend all of this. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would take these words and impress them onto our hearts. Reveal to us the truth so that we can see clearly what it means that Jesus is the Lamb of God, that Jesus is the Lamb of God, that we are sinners greatly in need of a Savior. And that when we are found in you, that that is life. Be with us in our small groups tonight. Help us to wrestle with some of these concepts. To be honest, to be real. It's all for you. In Jesus' name, amen.